Hello and welcome to the Creative Chat, presented by the Destination Imagination Alumni Council. I'm Michael Russell. In each episode of this podcast, we'll talk with alumni of the Destination Imagination Challenge Experience about how they use creativity and problem solving in their everyday life and career. We'll also explore how Destination Imagination helps shape their lives into what they are today. Destination Imagination is a global educational nonprofit dedicated to inspiring the next generation of innovators, leaders, and creative problem solvers. Through the challenge experience, students solve one of six different open-ended STEAM-based challenges that build upon the skills they learn in the classroom. In just a moment, we'll be joined by Ren Hayes, a 12-year alumnus from New Hampshire and the director and owner of Building Blocks Commons, a project-based grade school in Exeter, New Hampshire. Joining us is Ren Hayes. She's a 12-year alum of Creative Problem Solving and now runs a project-based hands-on school in Exeter, New Hampshire that maximizes the students' creativity. Ren, welcome to the Creative Chat. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me today, Mike. It's an honor to have you here. You did Creative Problem Solving for 12 years. Yes. Uh, You're like me. You did a bit of both programs. Yeah. Um, so what was it that made you want to end up becoming an educator though, after doing this for 12 years? Absolutely. So it was really clear to me early on because of the incredible educators that I had, um, that education was the trajectory I'd love to go into. Um, I was able within Destination Imagination to really, um, learn to just have humor and flexibility and confidence in the the pieces um, of work that I came up with. And that allowed me to say, okay, so um, it's possible that the education system that I see before me um, isn't exactly what I would have. So how do I change it? And how do I make sure that the students who are maybe not being reached or the students who are being reached but not being challenged are able to really come into the fold um, with education? And that was really where it started for me. So did you know when you wanted to become an educator that you wanted to create your own school to do this sort of thing? Or did you think that you would just try to impose it into your own classrooms? Right, right. So that's such a good question. You know, like I said, I had incredible teachers who allowed for true creative problem solving within our classes, um, in addition to being part of um, the creative problem solving, um, competitive creative problem solving. And what I found was that as I went through school more and more everywhere from my undergraduate in public policy of education um, to, you know, sociology and everything was that um as I got into my actual job and even in my internships, I saw uh, the way that education was so perfect for some students and so not perfect for other ones. And um, as I saw teachers scramble in the public education um, realm, they were, they were effectively trying to, I don't know if you, are you familiar with the term Rube Goldberg? So Rube Goldberg, of course. (laughs) So like we want to make toast. So at the end, we do all these crazy things in order to have that same outcome of making toast. We Mm. drop a ping pong ball and we have a brick fall on the toaster piece and the slices go in, you know, all of these things. And that's what school looked like. The teachers were really, really, really innovating and it was incredible But at the end of the day, they had the identical result. They made toast. And that was where I said, 
okay, these teachers are awesome doing all these new innovative techniques in order to create the same outcome, but is the same outcome exactly what we want? And the reality is no, no, the world has changed so much, Mm -hmm. not just in the face of education, but with um, the internet and um, just sociologically in our world, it's really important that we were able to adapt. And so I started um, really taking a look at what are the absolutely most imperative pieces about education um, in order to create students who are, you know, buzzword um, 21st century ready. Right. Um, and, <laughs> and that's when I said, okay, we can do this. We can do this in a more fun, more cool, um, um, much more hands-on way that um, creates incredible results, but not the identical results. Because um, these are new, this is a new world. Yes. And, and I think about um, what made DI and, and competitive creative problem solving so awesome is that you're you're all trying to come up with a solution to the same problem. Right. But you, every team is going to come up with a different solution. And within your team, everyone's going to pick up different things. So you're not all yes. going to come out the same. Exactly. So one, of, one of my good friends who was actually our first guest on this podcast, Kim Holman, went on to become a dance choreographer. Uh, another friend went on to become a, a writer. Uh, another one is an accountant from our team. Uh, right. I do... Uh, uh, creative content production and, and, and I'm a retail manager. So we all go out and do our own things, but we all, we all got kind of the the core skills, but then took our own from it. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's, what's so fantastic about having, um, you know, my, my own school here. Um, I work with a team of 12 educators and we have about a hundred students and, this place looks like DI every single day. <laughs> and it's no mistake. It was truly um, that, you know, not only was um, creative problem solving a part of my life for every single year of my formal education, um, you know, primary through secondary, but I realized very quickly how important it was for me, just creating resiliency and, and confidence and, and learning um, all of those social emotional pieces along with STEAM, um, you know, all of the science mm-hmm. techno, uh, you know, tech pieces before STEAM was even a thing, you know, yes. just, we were just <laughs> doing it already. Um, and so recognizing those, those pieces and who, who that, which, which kids that really sparked and got them, in, you know, invested in. Um, it was incredible. Really, just having a place for those students who maybe didn't fit the exact mold to get that exact same Rube Goldberg result. Right. Um, we were able to really go in a different trajectory there, and it's awesome. Very cool to see. <laughs> so, in your school in Exeter, how do you try to make sure that these different elements are incorporated into the core curriculum yeah. that you would expect to see in a classroom? Absolutely. So yeah, so um, project-based learning, you know, lots of folks think of projects. Oh, I did projects, you know, I did lots of projects in school. But what they're talking about is what we call the dessert project. It's you learn all the material, learn, 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 learn. And then at the end, you present all of it in a project. But it's actually flipped in project-based learning. And we work with the Buck Institute, who's now PBL Works, to be sure that um, we had a framework to make sure that the learning was happening 
during the project, just like in creative problem solving and DI, is that we're not given all the information up front. We're given a really, really basic scaffolding, and we say, here's the problem we've got to solve. Every single project begins with a driving question. Um, and so that driving question is really what sets the students on the trajectory of being able to um, use those incredible math skills. You know, we have second graders who are doing rate and ratio, which is a sixth grade math skill, um, because it matters so much to them for their biodiversity project, where they're trying to figure out how much of their quadrat has uh, this species versus that species. And so um, when you, and just like in TI, when the information is important to you, you're willing to learn it on your own. And right. when it's when it's important to your outcome, um, you work twice as hard to learn that information. And that's <laughs> what we see again and again, um, is that you know those long nights of us staying up um, late, late, late while we were trying to get our problems um you know, and, and all of our team challenges completed. Yep. Um, what that brought to us was, you know, the recognition that with hard work, cool things can come out of it. Um, and I think that that's really wonderful to see these students struggle. And um, that was something that that, D, that DI taught me that I didn't learn in school. A school came pretty easy to me, and I was really lucky in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned to really struggle and really fail um, in ways that have been so useful to me as someone who started um, a a school um, that is is unique, but also has students who are where our students are headed towards college. They're headed towards those typical. Um, typical educational outcomes. Um, So preschoolers all the way through eighth grade, we have a commitment to them to make sure they're ready for all of those future academic endeavors while giving them a really different, um, you know, a a really different slice of education right now. And uh, it's beautiful. I, I think of two things from what from what you just brought up. One is the the old adage of, oh, I should have paid more attention in high school math yeah. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which is that, you know, you you're not you're not paying attention because when you're learning it out of a textbook, it's like this doesn't Why? there's no I yeah. can't I can't put this into action outside of, you know, there's a train in town A and a train in town B and they're headed toward each other at different speeds. Right. Where, you know, where do they collide or something like that? But Why we've heard are they plenty on of times. The same track? <laughs> that too. <laughs> Who is not doing their job exactly (laughs) um but the the other thing i think about and i and i i say this sometimes to my my wife who's also an educator um about failure and how failure is important you know i i I jokingly say you know i'll grade your stuff for you i'll just give them all f so they can learn failure for no reason whatsoever (laughs) but really it's learning failure teaches you what to do right and i think of my original my education in grade school and i was also very lucky to be a gifted student and do well and have things come naturally but you're not set up to fail in order to learn you're doing things to succeed and if you don't succeed you're punished right um and project-based learning and doing things where you need to try 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 and fail and learn and fail and learn is probably the more appropriate model because you also become invested. So you're going to remember those lessons in the future. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the other piece that really links back to it is that, um, 
you know, in DI, we would come up with all of our own solutions to our team challenges, and then we'd have to present them to an audience. Mm-hmm. And that has been something, not just um, not just as someone who loves teaching and loves leading, but has been so valuable to be able to say, here's how we solved this problem. Here's why we did it this way. Um, it reminds me every day when I'm talking to parents and they're asking questions about our school, when they're trying to choose whether or not to get on the waiting list or to apply even. Um, we, I am, I am talking to them in a language that is different than how we did it while we were planning. So mm-hmm. it's like when the judges come up to you at the end yes. <laughs> and they're like, so how did you do this? You're like, oh gosh, how did I do that? Um, and what it, what it really let me, let me see is that I have to learn to explain things um, in a really different language and, and being able to go back and think and, and be asked again and again, why did you do it this way? is so important for creating a final product that's mm-hmm. really, really valuable to the community. And um, I think about it again and again is that after we, after we do our tours and, and things like that here at this school, um, those questions always bring me back to those moments when the judges come up and say, how and why did you get to this solution? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Finally trying to put it all back together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so being an educator and kind of your path through education, What kind of advice would you have for someone who is, who know they want to become a teacher, but wants to do something different from what they're used to maybe in, in a path similar to yours in the sense of doing project-based learning? Um, What kind of advice would you have for someone who's looking to get the right education to get into this field? Right. So here's the piece that always shocks everyone when I say it and and folks ask me, you know, how did you get to here when those judges come around asking that? Mm -hmm. Is that um, do what everyone else is doing for a little while. And that's surprising um, because you have to really, really understand the status quo in order to be able to break out of it. You have to understand um, what is the maximum capacity for these rules to be able to still be in place and still, because rules are in place for, for a good reason. Mm -hmm. Um, Mavericks aren't just people who break rules, you know, (laughs) that's, that can't be (laughs) what we're saying. I'm not telling folks, you know, Oh, just quit school, go do your own thing. I would not be where I was if I hadn't started in public education, um, for many years, um, gone to a charter school where I saw it done a little bit differently, but again, same Rube Goldberg (laughs) result. Um, I wouldn't be able to fit this new, um, new view of education within those standards and be able to communicate it to families if I didn't understand their current language. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't stress enough how important it is that even though I always knew that I was going to open my own school and I was going to um, lead in a different way, um, I also always knew that the best way for me to do that, well, I actually had people tell me the best way <laughs> to do that, Red, is by going and learning the way it's being done now. Yes. And um, that's truly the best way to do it. You start there and then you can use your creative problem solving. You have to know the problem. You have to know the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that team challenge, you have to know it so well before you can go off on your own um, yes. and really expand those creative boundaries. Exactly. I think of, I don't remember what year it was when I was in college, but we were doing, um, went to school for video production and communications. And we, 
we one our, our semester was set up so that we were learning the different rules of filming and editing. And at the very end, our, t our professor said, okay, now that you know the rules, you're going to break the rules, you're going to make a music video. Because <laughs> yes. a music video is where all the rules are broken, but you can't do it until you know what the rules are. Yes, yes. Because um, that's, that's when you can. to hear, you know, yeah. <laughs> when you're like, yes. no, I want to just break them. No, you really have to get it. You have to know it. You have to know the paradigm of which you're trying to bust out of yes. um, in order to be good at it and have people follow you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's always that argument of you, you need to elicit change from within and to get yes. inside, you need to know what the rules are. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, and you have to fail. I mean, there mm -hmm. were, there were big fails in my career as I was educating and, and, and just the other pieces to just stay flexible. Um, you may think that you want to teach high school and then all of a sudden you're in an elementary school and you love it or vice versa. Or you don't get the job you want, but you get this other job and it turns out to be the best thing for your education. Mm -hmm. You know, just having that flexibility and willingness saying, I'm here to learn how it's done. That's going to get you farthest. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, let's change gears a little bit. Uh, we are recording this episode in May of 2020. So we are in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, which has drastically altered how teachers need to teach and students need to learn uh, in a very sure. quick time. So how do you guys in a, in a project-based institution where so much of it I'm sure is hands-on learning, yes. how are you adapting what you're doing so that the students can still learn from home? Absolutely. Yes. So this is, this is that million dollar question right now mm -hmm. is how did we do this? You know, we were told on, um, you know, March, uh, March 13th on Friday that we, our campus was closed, um, here in the state of New Hampshire. And, um, we worked throughout the entire weekend and we were open again by Monday evening. Um, and the way that we did that was by incredible buy-in from our families. Um, you know, that was the number one thing that we've learned throughout all of this is that the stronger that school to home connection the stronger the response will be during a crisis. Mm -hmm. We already had incredibly strong relationships. We only have a hundred students, you know, so we're we're capable of really strong relationships. Right. But um, it can it can be replicable in larger schools. It absolutely can be by doing smaller pods and doing things that schools are working towards right now. Um, but you know, we had that infrastructure in place to have that communication. We also um, have a really dynamic and flexible staff who it felt honestly, truly like an instant challenge. It was, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we deal with those long-term yeah. <laughs> team challenges constantly, but it was an instant challenge where we're sitting there with graph graph paper and we have big um, sheets where we're circling things and drawing things and it was fast and it had to be so fast. Um, and so you had to really come back to making your goals. Um, you know, what we were able to quickly do is use, you know, everybody, um, everybody's a Monday morning quarterback when it comes to something yep. like this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there is not, you know, there's not a teacher in the world who doesn't have people sending them better options and better choices um, than what they chose. But the best platform to roll out is the platform everybody already knows. So we took the platform, those online learning platforms that we were already using, and we, we molded them into something that could work for this. Um, we send out those daily flight plans so everybody knows what they're doing for the day. Um, and we give them just enough 
um, of that infrastructure and just enough of that scaffolding that they can do that same work they've been doing. Um, and we've seen some students struggle at first, but the more training we've done to parents of yeah, the struggle is definitely intentional and definitely part of what we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. The more we can educate families on that, the better it's been. Um, also having, would, a, yeah, go ahead. I, I would think that's probably one of the hardest parts of trying to get it so that it'll work at home is that the parents yes. are there to be the supporters and don't want to, don't yes. always enjoy seeing their kids struggle and think yes. if they're struggling, then something's wrong. Yes, uh, exactly. And, and that's very normal for parents. You know, I'm a, I'm a parent. Um, of uh, an almost nine and 10 year old. And it's so hard to watch them struggle. And yet I built a school that intentionally pushes students into struggle so that they can work through, we call them protocols here in order to get out of that struggle. And so having parents, it's, it's really normal that um, you see your child struggling. And the first thing that you want to do is jump in and fix the problem. That's what our parents did. That's what a lot of our teachers always did. And that's mm-hmm. what it feels like is the right thing to do. Um, and instead, we've really tried to nudge parents to saying, no, you are now a documentation specialist, just like in the nature videos where you sit back and you make the documentary while the bear eats the goat. You have to do it. You yep. have to stand back um, and and note what's happening. Take photos of what's happening. Communicate with what's happening because that's the learning that that child is going to remember forever. The train going 400 miles per hour in the same direction, they will not remember that. Mm-hmm. But they will remember how hard it was. They will remember that struggle. And um, that's the piece that's going to stick with them to build these really, really dynamic kids who have resiliency um, to struggle. And so that reteaching quickly became evident despite all of our work to make sure that the platforms were right and that the um, students were all in with a buddy in their in their pots. All of that was really secondary to those relationships with um, with families and making sure that the relationships within the families were strong. Awesome. If uh, people want to be able to follow along either with your school or your your personal journey, what, what would you recommend either on social or if they want to get in contact yeah. with you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're on um, Facebook a lot. We have it's buildingblockcommons.com um, is our website, but you can take a look at it. We have pictures all over up there. Um, you know, we're there's lots of cool things happening here all the time. We have goats and chickens, but then we also have a really cool 3D printing lab and, you know, all kinds of cool MacBooks and all that kind of stuff happening on site. Um, but we've also been able to pretty quickly shift to be more of a hybridized space so that we have photos of what's happening at home and all of that. So I'd love people to connect. Um, we're definitely a school made of lots of connectors and mm-hmm. lots of people who love learning, uh, lifelong learners for sure. So <laughs> anyone who wants to reach out to learn more or that we could learn from, we love hearing from everyone. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ren Hayes, thank you so much for joining us on the creative chat. Thanks so much, Mike, for having me. This has been the Creative Chat, presented by the Destination Imagination Alumni Council. This episode has been produced by me, Michael Russell, with Angela House and Erica Solis. 
Additional help by Kate Nylander, Austin Ebelhair, David Russo, and Jenna Caputo. Our music today from the Free Music Archive is Take Me Higher by Jazar and Broke for Free by Night Owl. You can visit us online at destinationimagination.org. You can find the Alumni Council on Facebook at Destination Imagination AAP, on Instagram at DI Alumni, and on Twitter at DI underscore alumni. You can send us your questions or comments at alumnicouncil at dihq.org. For all of us at the DI Alumni Council, I'm Michael Russell. Stay creative, and we'll see you next time.